Hi, and welcome to the Practicing Clinicians Exchange podcast series on overcoming barriers to HPV vaccination. This is the second of two podcasts and will focus on strategies to address the barriers to HPV vaccination. My name is Tracy Paparo. I'm a PA practicing inpatient palliative medicine at RWJ Barnabas Health in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and I'm also the immediate past president of NAJISPA, the State Society of Physician Assistants. I'll be your moderator for today's episode, and joining me today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Martin Mahoney, Professor of Oncology at the Department of Internal Medicine at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. This program is supported by an educational grant from Merck, Sharp, and Dome Corporation. The program is provided by Practicing Clinicians Exchange for 0.25 ANCC and AAPA credits, with 0.25 credits available for pharmacology credit for NPs. To receive credit for this program, you're going to want to remember this website, pce.is slash hpv. Again, it's pce.is slash hpv. And I will remind you again at the end of the podcast that we can all get our credit for this. I hope you listened to the first podcast. If you didn't, I would suggest going back there so you have a good primer for this one. The learning objective for today's podcast is applying strategies to address patient and caregiver barriers to the HPV vaccination. This is a good one, Dr. Mahoney. I think we'll get some good discussion out of this. I look forward to it. I wanted to start off with a case scenario. I think it's something that's pretty commonly seen in clinical practice. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat and uh, tell you, you have an 11-year-old who is due for their annual influenza, meningococcal, HPV, NT-DAP vaccines. The parent is at the visit and they agree to all the vaccines except, you know, you get the hand put up and they say, no, we're not going to do that HPV one. No, thank you. We'll take everything else. How do you proceed there? I mean, what are the common barriers that you see when this happens? I I think you've described a a very common scenario. Um, And, you know, I think part of the problem, as you've described it, is the cluttered adolescent vaccine platform at that age 11 uh, or 12 visit in the office, where there's a recommendation to complete meningococcal vaccine and pertussis vaccine, as well as the HPV vaccine. In the example you described, there's seasonal influenza, right? A recommendation to deliver that. So you're talking about, you know, four, maybe five vaccines for that young adolescent patient. And there's a there's a pushback, right? Clinicians don't want to be the bad guy and, and tell a, an adolescent patient you need five vaccines today. You get the look from the adolescent to the to the parent. And the parent, you know, doesn't want to be the uh, the one to say there's, you know, you got to get four or five vaccines today. So something gets dropped off the list. And most commonly, it's the one or two vaccines that were added in last. But I guess if you want to kind of do this in a more structured fashion, I, I would sort of say, what are some of the barriers from a clinician perspective? And what are some of the barriers most typically encountered from the patient Uh, or caregiver uh, perspective. If we talk about the clinician barriers, 
I think it's, you know, just a, a, a clear understanding of the tremendous burden of HPV related conditions um, and the availability of HPV vaccine as a cancer prevention vaccine. You know, sometimes it's an issue of, of timing and wanting uh, or perceiving to have enough time to to allay the concerns or answer the questions of the parent or the caregiver who's there in the office today. You know, you're looking at your, your patient list, you know you only have X number of minutes and, and you just, you know, rather than engage in a conversation of several minutes that would do a, a great deal in terms of allaying concerns and maybe helping to prioritize uh, the delivery of vaccine, it's, it's glossed over and people kind of move on. And then there's the, the issue with HPV vaccine that once you start the series, um, an individual would not be considered to be protected until they've completed the series. And, and part of that involves recall and scheduling and getting, getting the patient back into the office. Now with a younger adolescent, that's not as much of a challenge as it is with a slightly older adolescent. We know that well-child checks or well-child visits uh, drop off as an adolescent ages. So a, a, a greater proportion of 11 and 12-year-olds come in for those well-child checks compared to, say, 16 and 17-year-olds. If we look from the perspective of the patient themselves or perhaps the, the parent or caregiver, Again, a lack of knowledge or appreciation for the risk of, of human papillomavirus, really an understanding about the safety and efficacy of the HPV vaccine. You know, cost and logistics, it, it's a simple visit to the office. It can often be a, a nurse visit to complete the series. Um, cost, you know, these are routinely recommended vaccines. So uh, Affordable Care Act provides coverage, so that I don't think represents uh, much of a real uh, barrier. Vaccine hesitancy is certainly an issue. We, we've seen the, the issue of uh, vaccine hesitancy and, uh, you know, more recently with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And I think you kind of unique to HPV is this perception that somehow preventing HPV is a lower priority um, than preventing meningitis and pertussis because HPV vaccine, unlike Tdap and meningococcal conjugate vaccine, typically do not have school mandates. So, you know, again, in this crowded adolescent vaccine platform, if you have a so-called mandated vaccine, that is somehow prioritized over a non-mandated vaccine. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. You know, lots of people, if if it's not going to affect you know what they're doing, if if it's not going to keep them out of school, you know, maybe they're just not going to get it. So that that's a good point to think about. So, what are some strategies that you think, as clinicians, you know, we can use to kind of have better communication with the patients, the parents, the caregivers, and kind of have a shared decision-making among everybody so that we both feel comfortable with what's happening. Right, right. Well, I, my, my first recommendation would be to, to sort of uh, change up uh, the typical approach to how adolescent vaccines are recommended 
and to recommend them in alphabetical order. Uh, you're here today for your visit at you know, age 11 or age 12. There's some vaccines that are routinely recommended. Those include the HPV vaccine, the meningitis vaccine, and the pertussis vaccine. I recommend we do all of these vaccines today. Uh, what questions do you have? So do you see if there's that barrier or concern about too many vaccines today, the one that usually is dropped off is the one that came second or third or fourth in the list. And if you do it in alphabetical order, I think you're more likely to uh, get that HPV uh, vaccine series initiated, again, recognizing that there will be additional opportunities uh, to, to uh, complete uh, pertussis and, and meningococcal uh, vaccination. When we talk about a slightly older population, you mentioned, Tracy, this notion of shared clinical decision-making. And the current CDC recommendations call for use or application of this shared clinical decision-making model when counseling patients ages 27 through age 45 regarding HPV uh, vaccination. And, and the whole model for how shared clinical decision-making should occur, it can be, sure, it can be a long and involved and complicated uh, conversation, but it can also, I think, be a little streamlined and simplified because the whole foundation of shared clinical decision-making is really engaging in a back-and-forth conversation about why the clinician feels that particular vaccine would be of benefit uh, to that particular patient. So you would make the recommendation for what vaccine you, you want that patient who's age 28 and hasn't completed vaccine or hasn't started the series. You want them to start the HPV vaccine series or complete the series. And you would offer evidence of the effectiveness and safety of the HPV vaccine. And there's a lot of published data, right? The FDA and the ACIP took a look at all of the large clinical trials first conducted in young girls and women ages uh, 16 through 26. Thousands of people uh, were in those large trials inside the U.S. and outside of the U.S., followed for several years. And, and those trials uh, demonstrated the safety and efficacy to prevent cervical cancer, other uh, genital cancers related to HPV and uh, cervical and other genital precancers. And then the various vaccine manufacturers extended those studies to include males ages 16 to 26 and a slightly older population of females through 45 and that all supported the expansion of the label for the uh, initially the four-valent HPV vaccine and more recently the nine-valent HPV vaccine, as well as through the use of what's called immunobridging, demonstrating an equivalent or non-inferior immune response in both older populations. So they did immunobridging to older male populations up to age 45 and immunobridging studies in, into younger populations all the way down to age nine. And that formed the basis for the recommendations and the, the label for, for use in, of the HPV vaccine for cancer prevention in populations from age nine through age uh, 45. Again, that 
to go back to that shared clinical decision-making model. That's the kind of the brief conversation about the evidence of efficacy. And then the vaccines have been demonstrated in both the clinical trials and in real life experience to be well tolerated in terms of safety. So pain, redness, and swelling at the injection site, not much uh, uh, consistently beyond uh, that. And then, you know, really your, what, what you can offer in terms of your, your own experience, whether you vaccinated your children, whether you yourself uh, might have uh, been vaccinated. And then again, offering the patient an opportunity to ask questions, clarifying questions perhaps, um, and being respectful of their personal preference, really, uh, and, and seeing if you can come to a, a collective agreement about what the next steps might be. Hopefully that the patient would accept HPV vaccination at that visit, uh, and, and then some counseling on when they would need to return to get the uh, second and, and third doses uh, as needed. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think having the open conversation is the best way to kind of instill that trust on both sides. Um, I think you made a good point that really one of the biggest points is just present, I think, you know, presenting it as that cancer prevention. I mean, I think at any age for the younger children and the adolescents, you know, parents want to protect their kids as much as they can from anything that they can. So saying that your child would have, you know, something protecting them from cancer, that's huge. And then when you start talking to the, I want to say older, young adults, you have to get into that uncomfortable conversation sometimes because, you know, it, it is proven that the, the more sexual partners that you have, and for every new sexual partner you have, you're increasing your risk of HPV, you know, and, and you have, I think we've talked about before, you know, people with serial monogamy um, think that they're essentially safe from some things and you have a way to protect yourself, at least from HPV, you know, if you're going to have multiple sexual partners, not necessarily at the same time, you have to kind of broach that conversation with these with these folks. Yeah, and, and, and that conversation with a patient allows you to individualize that risk assessment and to, to, to have that sometimes uncomfortable conversation when you elicit a sexual health history. And you can kind of risk stratify and explain that, you know, yes, you've been sexually active and it's likely you've been exposed to one or more types of HPV. Um, however, it's unlikely you've been exposed to all nine types of HPV in, in the nine valent HPV vaccine. And therefore, it's my recommendation that you would, and my impression that you would derive protection or benefit from the HPV types to which you've not yet been exposed that are included in that nine valent HPV vaccine. Um, you know, helping them to understand that, you know, the vaccine isn't going to clear uh, an existing infection, but it's, again, preventive. It will prevent or reduce the risk of infection and, you know, undesired outcomes, uh, cancers and precancers, genital warts, etc., cetera, um, associated with those HPV types in the vaccine to which that patient has not yet been exposed. Yeah, I, I think that kind of gets into what 
what we would feel would be the most impactful approach that healthcare providers can have to improve that acceptance rate of the vaccine itself. And you hit on one where, you know, the biggest thing is just going to be the provider recommendation and the support that the patient and the caregiver feel to really be comfortable accepting that recommendation. And it's something just being routine, um, just like getting any other vaccine would be. Patients trust what we recommend to them. They trust the, the, the clinicians who provide care to themselves uh, and other family members. And there's been a very broad uh, published literature, Tracy, that, that, that supports that very point. The single most important factor to getting a patient vaccinated uh, is, a, is a clear, enthusiastic uh, recommendation from the clinician. And also, you know, we've touched on this a little bit earlier, the ability uh, and the, the patient's comfort in having that dialogue to address any questions or concerns. So as a rapid follow-up to that clear, enthusiastic recommendation, um, asking the patient, what questions or concerns can I address for you? Yeah, I think the patient knowing that you're ready to answer their questions and that you're available to do that is huge. You know, sometimes I think we all forget that you know, we just assume that if the patient has a question, they're going to ask us, but sometimes you just have to put it out there that you're, you're giving them permission to ask and they're just going to feel more comfortable. I, I, I bet you feel the same way, Dr. Mahoney. Yep. And the other key point that ties into the HPV vaccine um, that, that I think drives home the importance and priority is that this is a cancer prevention vaccine. You know, it's so important in terms of providing long-term protection uh, to our patients. And I just have to wonder if we had a vaccine that prevented breast cancer or prostate cancer, it just seems to me that people would be lining up around the block to get this vaccine. You know, we've vaccinated millions, tens of millions of adolescents and, and, and young adults and middle-aged adults against HPV using these wonderful, uh, safe, effective vaccines. But I think we need to kind of um, keep in mind cancer prevention, safety, effectiveness, efficacy from the clinical trials. And, and there's been a whole host of publications looking at uh, population measures of real-world effectiveness. So reduced prevalence of HPV, reductions in abnormal pap smears, uh, reductions in uh, cervical uh, precancers, all measurable decreases attributed to uh, delivery of HPV vaccination. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one, one small recommendation from us could make a huge impact going down the line. And I think that's the most important thing to remember as a provider. I think this was great. I want to thank everyone for listening today. I want to thank Dr. Mahoney for sharing all this knowledge with us. I hope that everyone got some great tips and strategies for delivering this and feeling comfortable talking to your patients about this. And I'm going to remind you to go visit again, pce.is slash HPV. You're going to take the post test and claim your credit for this activity. Everybody wants activity credits for uh, everything that you do. So make sure you visit pce.is slash HPV.
Thanks so much for listening.